0: My name is Andy Hazlett. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Element. And I have the privilege of sharing the message with you today, so uh, welcome, we're glad glad that you're here. Uh, Also, I want to welcome you, if you're joining us online, we're so glad that you are tuning in here to Element Church. Before we get rolling today, uh, one thing I I just want to ask of you, whether you're joining us on Facebook Live or whether you're here in the service, we want to encourage you to share that Facebook Live link on Facebook. And so, uh, even if you're here in the service, uh, you can pull your phone out, go to Facebook, share that Facebook live link. That would be a huge help. That would be awesome. I want to share a story with you to start today. A while back, several years ago, I had an opportunity to go up to the hospital here in Cheyenne and to pray with an older gentleman that was bound to his hospital bed. I had never met him before, uh, but uh, he uh, he got a hold of me and asked for for someone to come and pray for him. So I went went up there and uh, went into the room, got to meet him. Had never met him before until then. And uh, had the opportunity to pray with him, and I got to hear his story a little bit. Really cool guy, and uh, and then we prayed together. And uh, we had this really cool moment of, of praying together, and then he asked me a question that I was just a little bit surprised by. He asked me if he could pray for me, and a lot of times that, that doesn't happen, and, and so I said, absolutely, I would love it if you would pray for me. And so uh, we, I, I sat there right right next to his hospital bed. He folded his hands and, and bowed his head, and uh, through, through kind of a, a, a weak, old, older, raspy voice, he began to pray for me. For me and my family, he had never met me before, but began to pray for me and my family. I was blown away by that. Well, he started praying, and then he kept praying, and then he kept praying, and on and on and on. It was a long prayer, and I just sat there quietly. I was thankful for it, and it was awesome. And uh, and then. His his prayer kind of started to ramble off a little bit. He got quieter and quieter and quieter. And then all of a sudden he stopped praying. Now I knew everything was okay with him physically. He was hooked up to all the hospital machines and everything. Everything was fine with him physically. I didn't know what was going on. And so I just sat there quietly. And then eventually I kind of looked up and, and saw he prayed himself to sleep. That's exactly what happened. And so now I'm thinking, what, am I, what should I do? Like, do, do, do I just quietly leave? Do I just sit here, wait for him to wake up? If I do leave and he wakes up, is he going to be offended? I didn't know exactly what to do. And so I just sat there quietly for several minutes. Now, several minutes in that kind of uh, situation can feel like an eternity. And that's what it felt, it felt like forever. And finally, without knowing what to do, I, I tapped on his shoulder and said, Sir... And he woke up and it was—he, it startled him. He just kind of woke up startled and he looked at me a little bit freaked out like he wasn't sure exactly where he was, looked at me for a minute, folded his hands, <laughs> bowed his head and just kept on praying. <laughs> it, it was awesome. It was awesome. One of my favorite memories and he just kept praying and praying and praying. Eventually, after a long prayer, I was able to make an exit prayer. Prayer is one of the most fruitful and powerful spiritual practices that is available to us. Yet, as as Christians, it, it seems to be one of the things that we struggle with more than anything else. And looking at the scriptures, though, every major move of God always has prayer at the center of it. Today we're going to look at one of my favorite stories from the book of Nehemiah from the Old Testament. And particularly we're going to look at this prayer of Nehemiah. And there's so much that we can learn from Nehemiah's prayer. I think there's there's a great deal we can learn about the kinds of prayers that God wants for us To pray. The main scripture is Nehemiah 1, verses 1 through 9. And before we dive into the scripture there, uh, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background on this guy named Nehemiah and the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. If you don't know, the Bible has two testaments, an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament is the first half of the Bible. Essentially, everything happens before Jesus. The New Testament is everything about the life and ministry of Jesus and everything after Jesus. So we're looking in the Old Testament. And the book of Nehemiah is known as one of the post-exilic books meaning that the events of this book happen after the exile. Now, you might be wondering, what the heck is the exile? Let me explain that to you. The nation of Israel, the people of God, uh, the modern-day Jewish people that, that we are... Aware of the nation of Israel at the time was split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was known as Israel, and the southern kingdom was known as Judah. The northern kingdom had been kicked out of the land by the Assyrians because of their disobedience. Years later, The southern kingdom of Judah was also kicked out because of their disobedience or exiled to a different land, but they were exiled by a different kingdom, a different empire known as the Babylonians. Now later on, after all of that happened, Persia comes to power and King Cyrus of Persia is moved by God and allows the Israelite people, specifically the people from the southern kingdom of Judah, he allows them to return to Jerusalem and to restore the temple and to restore worship. And under under a couple different people, but under a man named Ezra, who is a priest, and also under another man named Zerubbabel, the first group of Israelites return. However... Even though a group had returned to Jerusalem, the wall that was around Jerusalem, the wall that protected Jerusalem, it laid in ruins. And so God raises up this man named Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem with the skills and the connections uh, to, to restore the wall. Now, this might be a really good place to make a political joke about building a wall, I'll just choose not to go there for sake of time today. But God uses Nehemiah in an incredible way. The big idea for the message today is this. We cannot expect a powerful move of God if we do not pray powerful prayers to God. The big question we're going to ask then is this. What can we learn from the powerful prayer of Nehemiah. And before we jump in, let me also say that if you're here today and you'd say that that you're not a Christian, okay? First off, I'm so glad that you're here today. And and I I understand also that this subject of prayer uh, is probably a very strange subject from your perspective. Hang hang in with me today. I'm so glad you're here. And my hope for you is is that you will see that this whole Christianity thing is not just about following a certain set of rules. It's about a relationship with the living God. So what do we learn from this prayer of Nehemiah? Number one is this. Powerful prayers require sincerity. Powerful prayers require sincerity. Nehemiah Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one out in the lobby. Just stop by guest services and ask for one. To be our honor to give you one today. Verse 1 says this. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. I was at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me ...with some men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity... ...about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down... ...and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this... I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Here's the thing about Nehemiah. Nehemiah genuinely cares about the status of the people in Jerusalem. He understands that the disrepair of the wall was not just a meaningless building project. It reflected the spiritual state of God's people. At the heart of it is this truth that we cannot miss. Nehemiah. Nehemiah genuinely cared because he genuinely knew the Lord. Nehemiah, he genuinely cared because he genuinely knew the Lord. He prayed. He mourned. He shed tears. See, the picture of Nehemiah is not the picture of the heartless Christian who uses the phrase, I'll pray for you as a way to ignore the person with real needs standing right in front of them. I want to share with you a powerful quote from a commentator I came across in in preparing for the message. He says this, today the cause of Christ is in jeopardy. I wonder if those who criticize and pretend to be interested are really concerned. If the thing you are criticizing doesn't break your heart, stop it. There is too much talk and not enough tears. You are not God's messenger if the message doesn't cause you personal anguish. This report of what was happening in Jerusalem, it had caused Nehemiah personal anguish. Anguish. His prayer was sincere. Not sure about you, but uh, I enjoy traveling. Whether, whether it's with my family or, or whether it's uh, something related to the church here, wh- whatever it might be, for the most part, I enjoy traveling. Now, I love being home as well. It seems like as soon as, I, as soon as I leave for a trip and it's exciting and everything, and it's like a couple hours into the trip, I'm like, man, I really miss being at home. I don't know if that happens to anybody else, but uh, I enjoy traveling, but I also love being home. And uh, several years ago, I was going on a trip uh, away from my family for two or three days, And at the time, our second child, our daughter, Madeline, she was, uh, she was less than a year old. And I remember being really excited to get away from her for a couple of days. Now, I love her with all my heart, but especially at the time, she just didn't sleep very good through the night and, and everything like that. So, uh, and I remember this trip, like I was really excited about it. My wife wasn't so excited that I was leaving for a couple of days. I, mainly, she was jealous that she couldn't get away from her for a couple of days. So I was excited to leave, right? And we went on this trip and, and uh, got to where I was going going. I got to the hotel room and, and just the whole thing, you know, you're excited about uh, eat, eating out and you have in mind, oh, I'm going to eat at this place and this place and uh, the diet's out the window for the next couple of days and uh, I'm going to sit in the hot tub and whatever and not have kids to worry about and I'm going to have uninterrupted sleep. It's going to be awesome. And, and that's, that's how my thought process was going. And then I began to take things out of my suitcase when a little pink sock fell out of my suitcase. I'll never forget this. I'll never forget it my whole life. Little pink sock fell out of my suitcase, fell on the ground, and of course it was it was Maddie's sock that, that fell out. Now now I didn't start bawling or anything like that, but I will never forget. This this overwhelming sense of emotion in that moment. Where moments earlier, I was so excited to be away from this little girl. And then I see her sock. And I think, oh my gosh, I miss her so much. And I just want to hold her. I, I miss my family. I, I want to be there for bedtime and story time and prayer time and all that stuff. And and I, and I miss that. Now Now, I don't have any emotional ties to a sock. Okay? I don't. But I do have emotional ties to my little girl. I do have emotional ties to my, my little boy and to my wife and to my family. My relationship with her fueled my emotion. Here's, here's the thing. The sincerity of Nehemiah had everything to do with his relationship with the Lord. It's not that Nehemiah was just super passionate about building walls. Okay? He wasn't. As far as I know, he wasn't super passionate about building walls, but he was super passionate about pleading the, pleasing the Lord, his God. And, and if we are to pray powerful prayers, we must first of all come into relationship with the God of all power. And I am convinced That those who genuinely know the Lord will eventually be moved in their spirit by the things that matter to God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 5 verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So if you find yourself incapable of praying sincere prayers, then my suggestion to you is to really genuinely ask yourself if you genuinely know the Lord. Do I really know the Lord? Because I'm telling you, if you really know the Lord as you grow in your faith, as you come into contact with the Spirit of God, He will produce in you the fruits of the Spirit and your prayers will be, will be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. It's awesome. It's incredible. There's one more thing here that, that we need to be careful not to miss. Nehemiah didn't act quickly. It says here that he, he wept. And he prayed and he fasted and he mourned for days. And and then we also know that it was four months from the time he heard the news until the time he actually went and had a conversation with King Cyrus. And most scholars believe that he prayed and fasted for four months. See, so often we skip ahead to action before we've really brought something to the Lord. And we need to be careful not to rush into actions before we bring, uh, before we bring our concerns and our, our requests to the Lord. We cannot expect a powerful move of God if we do not pray powerful prayers to God. So what can we learn from this prayer of Nehemiah? Number one, powerful prayers require sincerity. Number two... Is this powerful prayers acknowledge sin? Nehemiah 1 verses 5 through 7 says this. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me pray night and day For your people Israel. Now, catch this right here. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Nehemiah is praying something that you will never hear on CNN or Fox News. He doesn't blame the situation they're in as a nation on a policy. He doesn't blame the situation they're in on King Cyrus. He acknowledges that the problem is sin. And and believe it or not... The greatest reason why our prayers so often are ineffective is because of sin. James, the brother of Jesus, says in James 5.16, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Nehemiah Accurately acknowledges the sin of Israel. He acknowledges that the root of the problem is sin. Several years ago, uh, I came into contact with, with a couple here at the church that, uh, that I, I just had, had started getting to know throughout the church and, and a really awesome couple here. And, uh, and And they had signed up for baptism. We had a baptism week that was coming up in the near future. Signed up. For baptism, and I rem- I remember uh, that that whole situation. I was super excited for them, but I also had a just a, a nasty gut feeling that something was off. Okay, and here's here's why I I, I felt this. I knew that they weren't married at, at that point, and and I, I was I wasn't sure, but I was pretty sure that they were living together. And I made the assumption mentally that it just like everybody makes the assumption mentally that if they're living together, then then there's a good chance that there might be some immoral, you know, sexual activity going on. You know, I don't live with my head in the sand. You might think that as a pastor, I live with my head in the sand, but it doesn't you know, that's that's not true. And so that was going on in my mind. And so I had this pit in my stomach now. Uh, you might say, well, what's the big deal? Well, uh, when, when you get baptized, when you get up in front of the church and get baptized, you are declaring that you believe in Jesus for salvation. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Like a month ago, we had 50 people that got baptized in two weeks. It's incredible. 125 people got baptized in this church in 2016. Isn't that incredible? That's awesome. Absolutely incredible. So when you get baptized, you declare in front of the church, I believe in Jesus. And, and part of that declaration is also that I am committed to live my life according to the truth of God. Okay? Now, you may not realize it when you're, doing, when you're getting baptized. I hope you do realize it. But when you're getting baptized, you are literally becoming a part of the body of Christ. And, and you, you are signaling something to the rest of the church You're you're saying, I believe in Jesus, I'm committed to live my life for Him, and I'm giving you, the church, permission to hold me accountable to that. Now that should happen in the context of love. That should happen with gentleness and respect. But make no mistake, it should happen. And so I had this nasty gut feeling because I knew that I needed to ask a question. And those kinds of conversations usually aren't fun okay they're just not they're awkward very awkward not fun at all and so for two weeks i lost sleep about it i mean i had this conversation in my head multiple times and you know i was just wondering are they going to tell me they hate me are they going to run away leave the church well you know all this stuff you know was going on in my head and i prayed over prayed over prayed over finally uh had the opportunity to ask the awkward question. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I just asked. And I will never in my whole life forget their response. Never forget it. They, they breathed this sigh of relief. And this was their response. We are so glad that you asked. We've been wanting to talk to you about this, but we didn't know how to bring it up. We didn't know how to bring it up. And we had an incredible conversation. Unbelievable conversation. I mean, I was expecting them to yell at me and run out the door, right? And no, they they responded with so much grace and it, it just blew my mind. And we had this awesome conversation. Well, it just so happens that they had already made some decisions because God had been convicting them of what was going on in their life. And so they, they already made some decisions to uh, to not be sexually active. That's awesome. And and they, they were already feeling bad about living together and stuff like that. And so as a result of, of this conversation that we had uh, that night, they, they started to sleep in separate rooms that night. And literally like three days later, I met them at the park in Cheyenne and I married them. It was awesome. Awesome. And it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there because the next day, like their honeymoon, the next day they got baptized right here at Element Church. Awesome. One of my favorite all-time stories as, as a pastor in ministry And here's why I tell that story. Here's what I want you to catch because like when I went into that conversation, I was mortified to ask that question because I didn't want to offend them. I didn't want them to leave the church. I didn't want them to feel judged. I didn't want them to feel condemned. I wanted them to feel loved. I wanted them to understand what kind of heart that was coming from. And when they responded, they responded like this. You're right. We are in sin. Now, will you help us to make it right? How do we make this right? Wow. Like those kinds of situations are messy, every one of them. And we've all been in that kind of situation, right, where we've been guilty of sin. We're all guilty of it, all of us. But that's what God's looking for. It's not a point the finger, look at their sin, look what they've done. It's an acknowledgement that, no, like, I carry a responsibility in this situation. I've sinned. And so Nehemiah, he prays that kind of prayer. It's not just, look what they did. It's, Lord, forgive me. Forgive my family. Forgive my nation. He doesn't point the finger and refer to the problem as their sin. He owns it as his own. So simple question, have you owned the sin that you're guilty of? Have you owned the sin that you're guilty of? Nehemiah's prayer is repentant. It, it acknowledges sin. We cannot expect a powerful move of God if we do not pray powerful prayers to God. So what can we learn from this prayer of Nehemiah? One, powerful prayers require sincerity. Number two, pr- uh, powerful prayers acknowledge sin. And number three is this, powerful prayers require surrender. Nehemiah 1, 8 through 9. Let's listen to the second part of his prayer. He says this, Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me... I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. Nehemiah understood that the Jewish people being exiled out of Jerusalem was a direct result of their disobedience. But he also understood this promise of God that if they would turn back to God, if they would genuinely repent and turn back to the Lord in faith, that the Lord would forgive them and the Lord would bring them back into the land that he, that, that he had promised them. Nehemiah, he banked his life on the promises of God. The, the prayers he prayed for four months about the issue that the Lord laid on his heart to go to Jerusalem and to rebuild the broken down walls, that was fueled by the promises of God. The risks that he would take in asking a pagan, a pagan king of a pagan nation to allow him to return to Jerusalem and even provide for the endeavor was based on the promise of God. His action was based primarily on trust. Nehemiah. Was surrendered to God's word and he was willing to do whatever he needed to do to fulfill God's plan for his life. Incredible story. Years ago, I met with a friend that was struggling in his faith, really struggling over a number of different things. And so we met, had a great conversation prayed together. We talked about what next steps might look like and and that kind of thing. And, you know, and and he came to me and and one of the things that he was struggling with is he, he believed and knew that God, and he had been a believer for a long time, you know, a, a long time in his life. And he believed that God wanted him to be faithful financially and to give a tithe. Like he, he believed that, that that's what God had called him to do. He knew that that was something that God uh, wanted him to do as a believer and, and it had laid on his heart. And he told me, I'll never forget it. He, he, he told me, This is how much money I make every year. And then he said this, and this is what I'll never forget. He said, There's no reason why I shouldn't be faithful. There's no reason. We're not struggling. There's no reason why I shouldn't be faithful in this area of his life. Now, today's message is not about tithing or giving or anything like that. The reason I tell you this story is, is just to illustrate that, that he had been mulling over this, praying over this for months and months and months. And finally, now we're having a conversation. He's saying, man, I really want to do this. I really want to honor God in this area of my life, but this is a big jump and, and we're going to have to change some things to be able to do it. And so we uh, kept the conversation going. We prayed together. It was, it was a good conversation. And, and, and listen, I understand because that is a big jump. Like when you haven't been uh, doing that and all of a sudden you're like, man, I really need to give and I, I want to give 10% of my income. That's a big chunk of change. It just is. I totally get that. So we had a great conversation and, and I tried to encourage him. I, I tried to challenge him and I just said, look, now maybe you can't start today with giving 10% the way that you feel like God's leading you to, but maybe you can start with 2%. Like start somewhere, right? Start where you can. I think God knows your heart and God knows the condition of your heart. So start somewhere. And then we talk about it and maybe you come up with a plan to, to give 10% by the end of the year. And, and, and so maybe that means you need to think about selling the boat, selling the truck or moving into a different home that you can afford so that you can be faithful in this area of your life. The, the, the point is do something like start where you can and, and God will honor that kind of faithfulness. Here's the thing. The most powerful prayers that we pray are the ones that are, first of all, sincere. Secondly, they're the ones that are repentant and acknowledge sin. And thirdly, they're the ones that have actionable faith tied to them. Nehemiah, he did not just pray and ask the Lord to miraculously build the wall, right? He didn't pray, oh Lord God of heaven, I pray that you'd raise up your angels and build that wall without me even moving to Jerusalem. No, he didn't pray that. What did he do? He prayed for four months sincerely. He wept, he mourned, but then he packed his bags. He had the guts to go into King Cyrus pagan king of a pagan nation and he went into the king. He got permission. He got resources and then he moved his family to Jerusalem. And with the help of our great God and by his bare hands, he completed the wall in 52 days. That's awesome. Here's the point for us. So often we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray like that long prayer I told you about earlier that, that the guy fell asleep praying for me. But we pray and we pray and we pray. And, 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 may, and this isn't meant to come across as non-spiritual, but maybe it's time for you to stop praying and maybe it's time for you to actually do something, right? Like at some point, our prayers need to lead to action. And don't misunderstand me because uh, we, we looked earlier about how Nehemiah prayed for four months. So we do need to sincerely pray and sincerely bring things before the Lord. But at some point we need to act. Our prayers should lead to action. We cannot expect a powerful move of God if we do not pray powerful prayers to God. So what can we learn from this prayer of Nehemiah? Number one, powerful prayers require sincerity. Number two, powerful prayers acknowledge sin. And number three, powerful prayers require surrender. As we close today, I want to just challenge you this week to first of all schedule a time in your daily schedule to take 10 or 15 minutes to pray. Now, I know that, that there's many here that maybe you've never done that before. Don't, don't feel bad about that. Like, don't beat yourself up about that. Just start, to, just start somewhere, right? Start somewhere. So maybe for you, that looks like uh, instead of listening to the radio on your way to work, turn the radio off and use that time to pray. Now, everybody's going to think you're a lunatic because it's going to look like you're talking to yourself when you drive by them. So uh, if you're worried about that, just get yourself one of those dumb-looking Bluetooth things, and they just think you're talking on the phone. No big deal. Or just put your phone up to... Well, you might get pulled over if you do that. So don't do that. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, p- make your kids take a nap during the day, even if they don't need it. Get up 15 minutes earlier. Uh, turn the TV off 15 minutes earlier. Wh- whatever, but 10 or 15 minutes. Start somewhere. And, and I want to challenge you to, to ask God these three questions this week... In, in your prayer time, whatever that might look like for you, here's, here's these three questions. Number one, are my prayers influenced by the love of God? Are my prayers influenced by the love of God? Second question is this, is there any habitual sin that I need to repent of and be forgiven of? And number three is this, what prayers do I need to act on? What prayers do I need to act on? Since we're talking about prayer, we should probably close in prayer today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, in heaven, I thank you for your word. And I'm, I'm always amazed, Lord, by the amazing practicality of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would inspire us and challenge us by the faith of Nehemiah. I thank you for him, Lord. Lord, I pray that our prayers would be influenced and inspired by the fruits of your spirit. I pray that our, inf- that our prayers would not just point the finger at other people and other people's sin and and the problem going on in other people's life, but that our prayers would honestly look inward and ask, Lord, is there anything in me that isn't pleasing to you? And Father, I, I pray that our prayers would have action associated with them. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today and we pray these things in your name. Amen.